Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So, everybody want to say hi to Kyle, Kelly, and Joel? Thanks for coming. <laughs> no, you got to say shalom. Shalom. She's just... Gar. She's Kelly. Okay, here's what we're going to be doing. Let's talk bad about Revelation. First thing you need to know, it is singular. Don't ever, ever say the book of Revelations. It is singular. It's big, one big honking revelation. Singular. So, let me give you some, some background information and some important stuff you need to know before we get into the actual study. But, first thing I need to say is, people love to study Revelation because they think that they can figure out when Jesus is going to return by reading it. It is full of lies and just falsehoods. It is insane. In fact, if you were to turn to Matthew 24, 36, Jesus himself, as the disciples are asking him, because he's describing the end, and they're saying, Lord, tell us, utheth, winneth, thiseth, willeth, happeneth. That's the way they talk back then. In the original King James. In the original King James. <laughs> he stinketh much. So, believe it or not, most outrageous statement in all of Scripture. They ask him, when is this going to happen? Jesus looks at them and says, I don't know. Jesus is God. And yet, the only human limitation he had. He's bringing back the dead for crying out loud, right? So, but for some reason, he did not know. And he says, it's only for the Father to know the day and the time. Now, Jesus tells parables about this. He tells stories about this. He's always saying, stop trying to figure this out. Now, when Jesus says, don't try to figure it out, if you try to figure it out, you'd be sinning. Right? Because he said, yeah, what it, if you need to figure out when the end is, when the second coming is, basically what you're saying is, Jesus, I don't trust you. I'm going to figure this out on my own. Now, there's been lots of people, just two, three years ago, uh, Harold Camping, two times in one year. Wasn't it three years ago? Yeah. I've lost track of time. Uh, yeah, got everybody on it. Oh, Jesus coming, Jesus coming. I did the computer, whatever scenarios, and all this, and pulled all these passages, and Daniel, and Revelation, and you know, all these you know, apocryphal books in the Bible, and I put all that information together. I and I alone have figured it out. The funniest thing possible happened was, uh, who, who, who was it that asked him to... Uh, he, he calls camping up because he, he checked camping's uh, uh, financial records and discovered he had a couple million dollars in the bank for his ministry. And he said, well, since Jesus is coming, 
you're not going to need that money. Tell you what, why don't be, before that date, why don't you transfer your money into my ministry? <laughs> Camping wouldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> and sure enough, both dates came and both dates went, and it didn't happen. Uh, my, my first experience with that was uh, when I was in seminary, I got the strange book in the mail, about that thick, print like you needed a magnifying glass to see, huge book of this guy proving the date and the time when Jesus was going to return. Sent it to like, I, I got the address for every pastor in the country and sent us all a free copy of this book. And sure enough, the day came, the day went. In fact, uh, it was in the newspaper the next day um, <laughs> that the, the publishing company who put that book out, of course, gave all the employees the day off uh, so they could be with their families and oh next gosh. day, blast, got to go back to work. <laughs> so, just, so, I mean, there's been a long history of that. In fact, you know, what Jesus is saying is if, you, if you're trying to figure this out, A, you're not going to figure it out, and B, it's a sin because the time you are wasting trying to figure this out, you should be out witnessing for me, Jesus, sharing the gospel, in other words. It's a waste of time. So we are not going to approach this study from that aspect, because it be sin, right? So don't do that. Um, it's called the revelation. Now, to further the, the concept that this is not about the, the end times, revelation is not about Jesus. Revelation is given by Jesus. So throughout, if you have a red letter Bible, you'll discover the vast majority of Revelation is in red print. This is Jesus speaking to John, the beloved disciple at about 95 years of age, who was a prisoner on the island of Patmos. This is where we're going to have our, our little travelogue here when we get started. And he has this visioned that Jesus takes him to, to heaven and reveals all this to him. That was going to take a little while, right? It could be 15, 20 minutes. It's going to take a while to go through this. So it's just a huge, huge revelation. So a term we're going to be using probably fairly frequently is apocalyptic. You know, you think Revelation, the apocalypse, right? So, you know, that's that's what what this is. There's very few books in the Bible that, that would be classified as this uh, apocalyptic type writings. Now, the apocalypse is always shared in writing. It was never shared verbally because it's too scary. Yeah, for somebody to come up to you and start talking to you about this stuff, you would just freak out and go crawl under a rock somewhere, right? So the apocalypse is is shared in 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 writing. The word revelation, something revealed, but in the original language, the, a better word we we could think of is unveiling. So a veil covers something you can't see. The uh, uh, the uh, a stage with a curtain when it's the curtain is, is, is drawn back, it's unveiled. So unveiling, revealing, something to that. This is what Revelation is. Now, 
this is going to be fun because I am terrible with math. But I have figured out biblical math. It follows a very precise formula. What we will discover in Revelation is that the biggest mistake we can make is to take this literally. It is, it's designed to be imagery. It creates the image of what's going to happen. These are not literal things that are happening. And one of the ways that we know that is because there are a lot of numbers used. Now, numbers in biblical times were very important. In both Greek and Hebrew, every letter of the alphabets equaled a number. And we'll be talking about this virtually every, every time we're together. So they understood the numbering in the Bible as several holy numbers and one evil satanic number. So let me walk you through numbers. And then the fun starts because then we got to start doing some math. I might, I might need Justin for this. Do you have a big chalkboard that we can... Yeah, really. That's, 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 that's very bad. Yeah, where's the you know, smartboard? All right, so the first number you need to know is the number three. The number three, anytime you see that, or, pay close attention, multiples thereof. One of the tools the Bible writers use is if they double or triple something, it's for emphasis. So when Paul writes, rejoice, period. Again, I say rejoice, right? Does he need the second one? No, he told us to do it the first time. But it's for emphasis. It means you really, really, really should be doing this. You gotta go take the good chair. Uh, no, well, I might. Janet's chair right there. Please sit in it. I'm gonna sit in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a doubling or tripling of a number is representative of the prime number, if you will, from which it comes. So, three sometimes you will see represented as nine. Three represents the fullness of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God three in one. It's representative of the Trinity. You're gonna I can't sit on the same side as Jan. You can, oh, I thought you were you, you, you going to try, try, try to write something. So, anytime we see a three, there was three of this, three of that, three of the other thing. You immediately think this relates directly to God. This is an aspect or a component of God. It comes into play then that Paul does this all the time. He makes lists. And the lists he makes, these are either good things you should be doing or bad things you should be avoiding. If you were to count up the components in the list, every time you will find it to be a division of or a multiplication of one of these holy numbers. The fruits of the Holy Spirit. Take a wild guess how many there are. Nine. Nine. Right? Because, yeah, it's, so. So, there's nine of them because it represents the fullness of God. We call them the fruits of the Holy Spirit, only one aspect of God, but the Spirit doesn't do anything the Father doesn't do, and the Father doesn't do anything Jesus doesn't do, and Jesus doesn't do anything the Holy Spirit doesn't do. It's three in one. 
So nine is a representative of the fullness of God. So in other words, in our relationship with God, this is what we need to be doing. So three, very critical number. Seven. What do you know when the, happened in the Bible in a group of seven? Creation. Right? God created everything in seven days. Seventh day he rested, right? So the number seven then represents a, 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 a completeness of something. So when Paul, when he makes a list of seven good qualities, what he's saying is to be complete and whole in the eyes of God, you need to do these, these seven things. Not just those seven, it's a representative number. If you had to list all the good things you should be doing, you would not have enough paper in the world, right? So it's a representative number. Be thinking of these things. So we have three, we have seven. We have ten. What do you know that's in a group of ten? Commandments. Commandments. All right, so anytime you see a ten, a group of ten... Uh, you know, in, in, in Revelation, we're going to come across you know, ten objects. So when you see ten, then that represents something having to do with the law. So the totality of God's law is incorporated in the number ten. The last good number is twelve. What do you know in a group of twelve? Disciples. Twelve disciples and twelve tribes of Israel. All right? Both of those groups represent, at the time, the chosen people of God. The fullness of God's people. All of God's people in Israel, all the disciples. The ones chosen by God. So, you need to keep those definitions in mind. Now, there's one other number you will come across quite often in the Bible that doesn't really mean anything, but the number 40 seems to be popping up. Right? They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. How do you know that? They have a court stenographer that's keeping track of, the, of this. They moved around constantly. They're nomads. You know, who's keeping track of this? It says Jesus was in, in, in the, the, the desert for, for 40 days. He was by himself. Who's keeping track of this? It's an approximate number. 40 days in the desert is meant... Jesus was here. He comes back. He was gone about six weeks. That's what it means. It's just it's an approximate number. It, it really. Like Noah's Ark. Me? Like right. Yeah. It's, you know, who's keeping track of this? I mean, you're 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 shoveling you know, <laughs> elephant poop and everything. It's, you, know, you don't have time to be keeping track of how many days this is because you figure it's going to go on forever. So right. It, it's just it's it's a random number, <laughs> approximate. <laughs> so fun number time. Here comes the math. So again, yeah, multiples. So nine is an important number. Um, it, it doesn't go like three times seven. You won't find a group of twenty-one. You might find a group of fourteen. Only double it, but it's not. You don't take three God times seven creation. So it's usually doubled or tripled. Is the formula. <coughs> Now, when we get into our study, halfway through, we're going to come across the number, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but it says in Revelation that the number of God's people that will be in heaven is 144,000. 
I get get Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, all this. It's Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes. Take it as the literal number. Yes. Which they exceeded in 1960 something. Yes. So they count. So why bother? Well, it's kind of like the um, seven times seventy or whatever. Right. I wasn't trying to you be mean, I was just helping. <laughs> Go ahead, tell, tell me, help, help better. <laughs> if it was the town, I apologize. That's what they were getting at. That wasn't a better tone. We've been working on tone. Thank you, That was hilarious. <laughs> okay, so it says it says 144,000. Now, I mean, again, if you take that literally, you will go crazy because a, we've already exceeded the number apparently by the calculation, and b, the thing that really irritates me is, you ever stop and try and calculate how many people have lived on the Earth since Adam and Eve? A lot more than 144. I mean, there's how, how many how many billion are on on Earth today? Over seven seven billion, right? I mean, right off the bat. And I mean, so for let's just use biblical time, approximately five thousand years, right? That's a lot of people. I mean, right? Right. Get them out of here, and then after that, you only live to be 120 years. I can't stand you people any longer. Yet. So, so there's been a lot of people. Now, 144,000 out of Half a trillion, a trillion people, is like 0.001 percent. I mean, it's you know the the odds of you getting in is ridiculous. Therefore, reading Revelation, you believe that number to be true, you would conclude, why even bother? Good turn. And why is it number even in the Bible to begin with? I'm so glad you asked, because did you plant him in the audience? Yeah, we've been rehearsing all week. It's a symbol. Right, it's a symbolic number. And again, now you have to go to the numbering system as I just explained it. 144,000, big number, right? Let's break it down. You get 144,000, one of the two prime numbers that I just shared with you, doubled, that equals 144. 12 times 12. 12, as you recall, represents God's people. So when you double something, it's for super emphasis. So this is all of God's people times really all of God's people is 144. A thousand. How do you get a thousand out of the prime numbers I just gave you? Ten, Ten cubed, right? Did I use that term right? Yes. <laughs> Practicing all week. Not the prime. My, 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 my goal is to impress Justin with, it, with, with, with my, 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 my numbering prowess here. <laughs> all right? So... Ten tripled. So it's it's all of God's people <laughs> perfected by all of God's lo- God's law. Not tripled. Right? Not tripled. It's cute. Not tripled. Well, <laughs> something like that. There's a three involved there somewhere. Ten to the power. You got to put it above. Yeah, I hate that. You, you you did it to me once on a hamburger order form. Remember that? Yes. that was, I figured it out. I cracked your code. <laughs> How many hamburgers do you really wanted? All right. Do you, do you get that? Seriously. Because it, 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 if you don't get that numbering stuff, it'll this book will drive you nuts and you'll sit there you know, just crazy with, with, with numbers. It's It really is simple. This is the way they understood it back then. We don't have that today, so we have to put ourselves in that time and begin to understand what, what they're really trying to say. 
This was the common language of the day. So 144,000 is all of God's people, 12 times 12, perfected by all of God's law. 10 times 10 times 10. It's just like that. This is kind of unrelated, but this is one... Well, it's related. It's a, it's a numbers thing. Say something real mean to him. <laughs> He's above that. He's above that. This one, okay, so we say all these numbers are symbolic, but then it's like definitely everyone say, well, then the earth was created in seven days. Like, that, that's always been a, a contradiction. Like, people are always like, well, the Bible, every word is literally true. Well, that's clearly symbolic for those numbers. So, like, I, I don't know. For me, that's always a... Yeah, and it might well be the, those early days of creation. I mean, if you're going to create land masses, I mean, it would, by definition, it had to be cool. If it started off hot, it would take millions or whatever yeah. to, to cool. But then, yeah, eventually, the later days then very well could have been, you know, single-day things. So it's in the great mysteries of God that we... Yeah. Well, not, I don't let that keep me up at night. Right. But <laughs> it's one of the great imponderables of the universe. And the good news is when we get to heaven, we will understand it. One of the great quotes that I read uh, within the last year about that was, is when they talked about the seven-day creation was, you know, people argue with, was it seven actual days? Was it seven literal days? Was it, you know, whatever? But most people just get in trouble when they believe that God couldn't do it in seven days. Whether yeah. he actually did it in seven days is kind of irrelevant. Right. But, yeah, that... That that whole issue, though, um, that's what we're studying in, in 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 the Bible study I'm leading. Yeah, we really have to distinguish between the the essential matters of the faith that are dependent upon salvation and those that are not. You know, knowing if it was a literal seven days or it was, you know, a pseudo seven days, either answer is not going to get you into heaven based on that knowledge. So we really don't have to figure that out, and that's what you know, a lot of this is all about. Bottom line is what you will discover. Revelation is designed to do one thing for us. Instill hope in us. That's the whole purpose. It's going to say things are going to get really bad, really fast, and super, super awful, awful, awful. But, good news, if you're in the first wave, you get to go to heaven and you bypass that whole process. You want to go in the first wave? Be awesome and incredible. Um, and that's what we hope for. And we just get to sit there and this is the movie we get to watch unfold before us. And Sitting at the buffet. Sitting at the buffet, right. Mm -hmm. Shrimp. Hit. No Will there be lima beans in heaven? Not Jeff's heaven. Jesus has banned them. That tastes like bacon. Jeff, that's at the other end. That's at the other end of the buffet. They might taste worse, Keith. They They might. They might. I have a question. Are there sexual packets? Pardon me? Are there sexual packets? Of the, no, of the, the, the that's the uh, spiritual gifts inventory. Which okay. is, Do you need a copy? Yeah. Because I can print you out one. Of the, uh, the study questions we have now. Yeah, if you give me that. You also need the spiritual gifts. <laughs> I have limited. Okay, I'll get that. Jan, we have. Uh, you need the revelations. Yeah. Look at that. Jan, we need two more. All right, so those are the good numbers. There is one bad number. 
The number six by itself. I'm printing it out anyway. Get down. Yeah, I'm printing it out anyway. Second intermission. Lay it on the staff. Need a marine whistle. Anyway, the number six. Bad. Six because remember seven represents complete and whole, lacking nothing. Six, just one short. And so when you read the New Testament, you discover that's really the definition of sin. Sin is if you were an archer and you had a, a bullseye target, you know, 100 yards away or whatever the distance is, you would shoot an arrow. Sin is not missing the target. Sin is missing the bullseye. Which is pretty much pass-fail. Right? It's not, well, I was only one inch away. Sorry, that's still sin. So you're either going to hit the target, the bullseye, or you're not. Six is just a little wee bit short of seven. Now, we're also going to discover in Revelation that the, the, the mark of the beast, again, is a number. And again... Now this one is tripled, not cubed. <laughs> six, six, six. Right? So that number then represents super, super, super evil. Right? If six is really bad, you triple it, it's like mucho bado. Right? That's Spanish for really, really, really honking bad. Right? So if we ever have a true Spanish individual, they're going to get up and leave. <laughs> You're not allowed to laugh, Kyle. You're not here. <laughs> Way to incorporate those who are not here. Way to go. That's we better pause until he stops laughing. <laughs> okay, we're good to go. All right, so chapter one, we're going to come across seven lampstands. Right? A complete whole number, right? So, I mean, it's just, it's just powerful to be able to look at these numbers and then to understand what they're really talking about. So good numbers, 3, 7, 10, 12, 40 the oddball, and the bad number is 6. So like I say, anytime you're reading Paul, all those letters of Paul, every letter he makes lists. And he'll say, you really need to stay away from these bad things. Now, 12 is a good number, right? So he's not going to make a grouping of 12, 6, time, six times 2, doubling. <laughs> right? And make that represent a bad a bad group. So almost all the time, the group he uses for a bad group is only six. But then he's going to go crazy with the good things. Good things is often you know twelve. Yeah, you know, he really really shoots for big numbers at that point. You, and so uh, you you start looking at it. And so nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, and you do this thing and stay. Yeah, you know, but he always does that. He says. Don't do these bad things. Next sentence starts, do these good things. And they're always grouped in. The bad ones are in group, the six group, and the others are grouped in seven, ten, twelve, something in, in, in that grouping. Now, that's your background. Chapter one. Are you ready? Let's do some of your questions and see what, what great wisdom you have derived from your reading. What is the purpose of Revelation? Still hope. <laughs> you said it. 
You were paying attention. You were so good. I put that back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate pencil. All right. Can you put this up there for me? I got too much stuff. All right, look at, look at one one. <laughs> what is the purpose of John receiving the revelation? You see it? To show his servants what must soon take place. Polite! You made it. I'm hungry. hungry. Oh, I'm good, thank you. Are you sure? Yeah, very sure. You have any idea where you want? You got a slide in there? Oh, yeah, we can actually fit. Can you believe it? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's. It's your butt over I don't know if I'm that brave of a man. We've done it every time. Where did you through? He's right behind me. No, he's not. Well, was. <laughs> he was. And then he's, he's little. He's actually not. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he stopped at the restroom before he came down. He's right behind me. He was. Nope. I brought him here, I promise. He's, he's okay. You brought him? Yeah. You're right with me. You're right. Uh, Somebody's ringing. Who are you calling? Okay, so. Call him, please. Oh. So you dropped him off? Here, put your head down. The important question is, do you see that? Here we go. He gives you the purpose of the book. To show what must soon take place. Now again, figurative speech. This was written pretty close to 2,000 years ago. Does that fulfill your definition of soon? No. <laughs> yeah, soon is a couple days, right? Um, so that teaches us something else about God that Scripture actually says, you know, a day is like a thousand years to God, a thousand years is like a day. So time is virtually inconsequential to God. The whole creation thing. Yeah, well, precisely. You see, it, it just it all follows suit like that. So, you know, we can't confine ourselves to our finite thinking. We need to start thinking like God. So he wants the, God's servants to see what soon must take place. So every generation has said, this is the end. Have you not heard from people? Usually older folks. Mm -hmm. I see the end coming. Right? It's right around the corner. It's coming soon. By saying soon, all I know is that today we are a little bit closer than we were yesterday. Ooh, that's good math. But, now, <laughs> but again, the word soon should really get your attention. Soon is an urgent term. So what this says automatically is, pay attention. This is not something to be taken lightly. This is something that you need to focus on, you need to address, and you need to take care of not tomorrow, today. Jesus tells parables about this. The, uh, the uh, uh, wise and foolish... Hey, Andy. I told you I brought him. Uh-huh, I got you, Jay. <laughs> he tells about you know ten. You gonna share with them like I am? No. <laughs> ten, ten bridesmaids. Five, five are foolish and five are wise. And so they're they're waiting and waiting and waiting for the bridegroom to arrive, the groom to arrive, so that the party can start. It gets into night, and five of the girls realize I don't have enough oil for for my lamp. It's gonna be dark, right? So, 
The five foolish ones that didn't bring enough oil say to the five wise ones who had enough, give me some of yours. The five wise ones say, sorry, I prepared. If I give you some, we're all going to run out and be in the dark. Run down to Walmart and get yourself some more stinking oil. They go out, buy the oil. While they're gone, the groom shows up. We're going to see in the imagery here, Jesus is the groom. The groom shows up, says, let's go party. Closes the door and locks it. The five who went to Walmart now show up, knock on the door, say, let us in, let us in. And Jesus, the groom, from the other side of the door says, sorry, the time has passed. Those who were prepared are already here. Since you did not prepare adequately, you get to stay out where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, the, the urgent factor is, is critical to this and should be what drives us in our daily lives that we need to be sharing this message in an urgent way. This isn't something that, well, we'll wait 30 years until somebody else figures it out on our own. This needs to be something that we are sharing right here and now. Soon it's going to take place. The next sentence is, He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Now again, John, Jesus' best friend, the beloved disciple, John who wrote the Gospel, who wrote three pretty short letters near the, the, the end, of, end of the Bible, and Revelation. John's pretty prolific. He's you know, written quite, quite, quite a bit here for us. The date of this revelation, give or take 95 A.D. All the other disciples are gone. John is the only one left. And it's written in a time of a great persecution of Christians. John, for some reason they didn't kill him, feed him to the lions or whatever, they threw him on this desert island out in the middle of the Mediterranean. You're on your own. No, no walls, no bars, no nothing. You're here for the rest of your life. It was an incredible persecution. Now, when I say incredible persecution, I mean that Christians became the national sport. Christians were killed for the entertainment of the Romans. Romans decided that we've got to exterminate Christians because Christians are cannibals. They don't get the symbols. They get to drink the wine and eat bread. That's the blood and body of Christ. Yep. See what happens when you right. So by Catholics, communion looks like cannibalism. The body of Christ. The blood of Christ, right? So the Romans decided we can't have cannibals in our culture, therefore we must eradicate them. 
And so it was literally open season on Christians. Jesus said, you know, brother will turn in brother. Mother will turn in daughter. And that's exactly what happened. If you're a Christian, it was an incredibly dangerous time. That's why the Christians then discovered we can kind of remain a little bit secret. That's where the, the, the sign of the fish came in. They used that as the identifying of being a Christian without saying it. So Christians would scratch a, a fish symbol on, on their door so a, a fellow Christian in trouble, running from the guards or whatever, if he saw that, would you know knock on the door, quickly, I'm a Christian, let me in, and you know you'd find sanctuary there. If two people met, you know, Clytes and I meet on the street, and I know you a little bit, and you know, but I don't know you know you, um, but I'm a Christian, and I don't know who you are. I, you know, everybody had walking sticks. I would etch in the sand a fish. And you were trained, if you were a Christian, to look for that. You know, if I had a, you know, a necklace or something, you know, something fishy on me, didn't smell like fish, but <laughs> I had a fish symbol on me somewhere. If not, I would draw one in the sand. If you didn't pick up on it, I just erase it real quick and say, "Boy, it's yeah." How about those Steelers? And uh, yeah, we would uh, just you know have a normal conversation, talk about the weather or whatever. But you know, I would never never say you know we're we're having a Christian meeting tonight because then you you would have me arrested. So isn't that why it? The way it's shaped, it's like this, and then this, because one person would go like that, yeah. and the other person yeah. would. Yeah. Kind of yeah. That that was the design. Is that, that yeah? But the, the identifier, the true identifier, was you. You actually finished mm -hmm. the the diagram so there. Yeah. They're very very simple simple just design. Little yeah, just a little flick, but yeah. Otherwise, you 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 wouldn't know what to do with it. So the Romans never figured this out. They're living by the kiss principle. Well, even now, I don't. Think non Christians really know what the fish? Maybe they do. Yeah, I, I, you see it occasionally on on, on, a, on a rear bumper of a yeah, car and stuff. Do you, do you think? I don't know. I feel like non Christians probably don't even know what that means, even now. There are some. Yeah. yeah. Do, do they? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. People lump that as a stereotype. Do they? Okay. Because yeah. I don't ever hear. <clears throat> I wasn't sure. So in the persecution. Christians were killed in horrible ways. They had to keep coming up with new ways to entertain themselves. So feeding Christians the lions got old pretty fast. So, let's have some more fun. They took the children of Christians that were being killed anyway and put sheepskin on the backs of the kids and there at the Colosseum, coming out of one of the doors, they said, okay kids, we're going to play a game. I want you to pretend that you're sheep and, and, and crawl out into the Coliseum on all fours and go, bah, bah. And so all these you know, hundreds of kids are out there going, bah, bah. From the other end of the Coliseum, they let loose wild dogs that they hadn't fed in a long time <laughs> and saw the sheepy looking children going, bah, bah, and just watch the slaughter. And people were betting on which child would last the longest and all of that, much like we do with our sporting events today, but just the most gruesome things you could possibly imagine. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, just awful, awful, awful. Um, the, the emperor at this... not that bad. I like this guy. I know, but... This guy gets it. 
The emperor at this time is a guy named Domitian, and a real nut bucket. But he learned a lot of what he learned from about 50 years earlier, the emperor Nero. You've all heard of Nero, right? He's the guy who fiddled while Rome burned, right? So Nero was really off-center, and he, Nero was the first guy to start the, the, the persecution. And something Nero did was, you know, again, we've got to find ways to entertain. So they had a whole bunch of Christians in, in jail. He decides, I'm, I'm having a dinner party tonight. And the royal palace was way up on a, a windy road. And at night, it's dark. So we need light. So we've got dozens and dozens of Christians, lined them up on both sides of the lane going up to the royal palace. And then they were all tied, bound, and gagged. And they had flammable pitch that they put on them, black tar, much like you use for you know, a, a torch, coated them all in this flammable substance, and then lit the Christians. And so the, the Christians stayed lit for hours and lit the way for the, the guest to come up to the royal, royal palace. Just a few examples of the you know, terrible, awful things that were happening. So again, you know, it's a book of hope. Because when things get this bad, this book was designed for those people in that day, but for us today, to get us to realize exactly what's, what's going on. Now, in, in verse 3, it describes a double blessing. What's, what's the double blessing? The word blessed appears twice. <clears throat> reads aloud the words of this prophecy. All right. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And, and what's the second blessing? Hear it and take it to heart. All right. That's a two-step process. You hear and then you comprehend, right? You you understand. And then you live that way. Who hear it and take it to heart. So again, this book is not designed to scare us but to give us hope so that we will live the true Christian life. Take it to heart because, end of verse 3, the time is near. See another soon, urgent message. It's coming soon. So, verse 4 starts with, John identifying himself. And so what he's doing is writing the revelation as it's given to him by Jesus to seven churches in the province of Asia. Seven. What's the number seven represent? Completion. So now going back to our imagery model, is John in fact writing to only seven specific churches? Corey says no. I would tend to agree with him. If seven is a completed whole number, then this, these are letters written to all churches. Except BUMC, of course, but yeah, because we're just perfect. Yeah, it's written to all churches. All right? So again, it, this isn't from that time and a message only to those people. This is message given to all of us. And that's pretty much how the, letter, how the revelation starts are these seven letters. First couple chapters are the seven letters. So, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And 
key, necessary, vital component of the Christian faith is that Jesus did come to earth. He was born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered on a Pontius Pilate. Don't get me started, right? So, he came. Then he died. He was. Right? Somebody dies, we speak of in the past tense. But Jesus also is to come again. The second coming is critical to our understanding. It's uh, what happened was not just in the past. There is still something yet to come. And that's why twice already in the first three verses he said it's, it's coming soon. Right? This is urgent. You've got to understand this. Who is to come? And from the seven spirits before his throne. But there's only one Holy Spirit. Seven completions. Seven complete, right? So again, when you start multiplying in that fashion, it means really super a lot. From the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Was Jesus the ruler of Hitler? Yeah. Hitler just didn't listen. Yes, thank you. <laughs> For those of you in the back, she said he just didn't listen, right? That's, and you see that all the time in in the uh, the Old Testament and New Testament. You know that some people just refuse to listen. I mean, that's the whole story of Moses. Let my people go, right? Mm. He had ten ten times to agree. <laughs> he kept saying no. Okay, we'll just wipe you out now, yeah. right? Thanks for playing our game. So, Jesus is in fact the ruler, but the ruler not in the sense of that rulers and us are puppets on a string, but ruler in the sense of his will will be done as things go, go along. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So we are here. He made us to be a kingdom. Who's in charge of a kingdom? A king. Not a trick question. Right? The king. Right? So we now submit to the king. Doing so makes us, this says, priests. Those who have direct access to God, not needing anybody else to be an intermediary. That's pretty cool, right? So you have direct priestly access to God. Verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So at that point, there is no more mystery. Everyone will see clearly. And all the people on earth, quote, will mourn because of him. They will finally realize, oops, we made a mistake. So shall it be, amen. They will say, oops, because they now realize the truth, but it's too late. 
Jesus says, quote, I am the Alpha and Omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the end. Right? The beginning and the end. The totality. Who is, who was, and who is to come. The Almighty. Now, in the, the soon urgent feature, how, how does the knowledge that the time is near and that this is going to happen soon affect us? It doesn't. Does it make us care at all? It should. We should. Urgency. Yeah, okay. not waste any time. Ur not put off urgent for what? <clears throat> to do. What's the, what's the urgency motivate us to do? Repent. Okay. It affects us personally. But then also to go get it to everybody. Right. So once we get it, that's what that whole first section is saying. Once we get it, then it becomes our absolute responsibility that we are now held accountable in the sharing with others so that those who don't yet know will now know. That's really you know, what we call evangelism, witnessing, Whatever. But Jesus says in the Great Commission, go and tell. Go and share this. It's not sit and just save yourself. It is our responsibility to bring others along with us. To, to witness to this faith that we, we, we say we believe in. So Jesus keeps saying, especially there in verse 7, you know, I'm returning, I'm returning. What's, what's the value of that? What, what does that do for us? He's coming back to judge. Okay, so he's coming back with a purpose. But he's definitely coming back, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not like, maybe I will, maybe I won't. It's like, I am coming. And in fact, you know, Jesus, in his ministry with his disciples, told them that I'm coming like a thief in the night. That's a great image. A thief in the night. He says, if you knew the thief was coming, you'd be sitting there with a shotgun ready for him, right? You'd, you'd be ready. I mean, if he called you up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and says, you know, at exactly 10 o'clock tonight, I'm breaking into your house and stealing all your stuff, you'd be sitting there ready. You would be ready. You'd be like Home Alone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the comedy. Right? So if you knew it, you would get ready. And so at the end of that, that's what Jesus says. Since you don't know when this is going to happen, our only conclusion is urgently recognizing how soon this will happen and we've got to get ourselves ready. We can only do that for ourselves. And then we're going to want to share it with others. <laughs> One of my little Sunday schoolers, whenever I was teaching in Michigan, he was four whenever he said this. And we were talking about revelations in service and this verse came up, and on Wednesday night Bible study, whenever I had it, he said, so are you supposed to behave like mom and dad are not in the room, but you know they're coming back, and your sister's doing something, and you know she's not supposed to. A four-year-old said that. Yes. 
Come on. And it just like wow. blew me away because yeah. he nailed it right on the head. Yep. You're not supposed to do it out of fear. Right. It's instilled in you. And God, God is like a parent. I mean, he is our father. We're supposed to do what he wants for us because he does it out of love. And he sets those guidelines. It just, it blew me away that a four-year-old, you know, and even nailed it on the head about the sister. Yeah. You know, uh -huh. if, if one of us is not doing something, we're supposed to be like, hey, mom's not going to like that. You know, not out of like, oh, you're going to go to hell. It's Right. So, yeah, so we should it, have that internal yeah. truth within us, but if not, somebody else should remind us of it. Yeah. That's, that's really what this is saying. It's coming soon, and we are responsible for each other. So the next couple of verses is just kind of the setup that you know where this is happening and, and who the letters are being written to. Verse 12 though, it starts to lay things out for us. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands. Okay? And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like a like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Now, that's a fun description. Seven lampstands. Okay, as we keep reading, we're going to discover that each lampstand is a representative term used in each of these letters to each of these churches. The lampstand is responsible for a lamp gives off light. So Jesus says, I will remove your lampstand. I will take away your light. So each church has a lampstand, has the light of Christ in it. But if we don't do what we're supposed to do, it will be removed. Being in the dark is the image of being in sin. We will be engulfed in sin. Now there in verse 16, it, it, it gives this description of a sharp two-edged sword. A two-edged sword has sharpness on both sides. What's... What kind of imagery does that create? What's, what's the purpose of a double-edged sword? No matter how it hits you, it cuts. Okay. <laughs> Swing it any way you want, you're going to get cut. Right. So you can go left, you can go right, it don't matter, up or down. Whichever way you go, it's going to be effective. All right? I took it as, like, we've heard the sweet, loving, forgiving Jesus. This is business judgment Jesus. <laughs> We, we got the Schwarzenegger Jesus. Hammer time Jesus. Did you watch Ricky Bobby? Yeah. My Jesus touched a t-shirt where, you know, but like the party. Pray to baby Jesus. Doesn't it say elsewhere in scripture, too, that the tongue is like a double-edged sword? It does indeed. And it's coming out of its mouth. James, so like James chapter 3. Yeah. It's God's word. Yeah. Yep. It, yeah. When you speak that word of truth, it, it, it cuts cuts right through, no matter which way, yeah. you, which way you go. Yep. Yep. 
It's awesome. Yeah, he's talking about the, the, the effect of the tongue and how dangerous mm -hmm. it is, but God it's also words. really, really good yeah. if, if used properly. Yeah. So, let me keep going here. Verse 17, because verse 18 has got something pretty cool in it. When I saw him, now, remember the image now. Right? Double-edged sword, the whole nine yards. I mean, this is Rambo Jesus now, standing in front of you. When I saw him, John says, I felt at his feet as though I were dead. You would too, right? See, that's a huge image. With you know, his feet are like bronze on fire. You know, in a, in in the, the the foundry. You know, red hot feet. You know, wow. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, "Do not be afraid." I am the first and last. You see? So it's not designed to make you afraid. I am the living one. I was dead. <coughs> Ta -da! And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of hell, of death and Hades. Hell and death. So, not a trick question. Verse 18. Who controls death and Hades? Jesus. Good answer. Now, that, that's critical to know because if, if God slash Jesus is limited, he has power over everything except hell, that doesn't sound right, does it? In fact, one of the coolest things, and it's, you know, Bible's a little cryptic on this, but it does definitely say that did you ever wonder what Jesus was doing between three o'clock Friday afternoon when he died on the cross and six o'clock Sunday morning when he comes out of the tomb? He's going on a, on a preaching mission to hell because all those guys that were currently in hell had no opportunity to hear him. That's an excellent question. Now, the Bible is full of numbers. I mean, Pentecost 3,000, except Jesus, right? Next chapter, it says, you know, and many more did. I mean, there's always using terms like that. You know, like the sand on the, on the seashore, like the stars in the sky. I mean, it always gives a reference point of numbers. In that concept of Jesus going to hell, there are no numbers given. As if to say, it needs to be. It Maybe seems no to suggest no one did. Now, that's furthered by by the time we get to the end of this, after after the rapture. Right. I mean, the beast is walking, you know, down Pitt Street, just you know, like like you know, uh, Godzilla. like Godzilla, right? Yeah. No, don't start that. And, I mean, evil, evil is is absolutely clear. No one can question this is evil, and the little bit of presence that is left of of Christians, he always left a remnant. So there's two witnesses left. And they're preaching and trying to tell people, reveal that truth to people. I mean, you have absolute evil and absolute truth in front of you. You have both clearly. There's no mystery any longer. The veil is, is, is pulled back as we read Revelation. Right. You will, you will discover not one person accepts Jesus. And I guess we'll probably get into it later, but let me say it now. That's why many of those apocalyptic parables Jesus tells conclude with therefore there will be throw cast him out where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth 
that's a strange way to put it, weeping, crying, gnashing teeth, just gritting her teeth like that. Because these are people who are so convinced their way is right and Jesus' way is wrong, they cannot accept the truth. They will fight the truth at the end. I was just going to say, it's just, it's just like a two-year-old, isn't it? students yes. argue with me. It's like, yes. I'm 28, I know how to read this word. Yes, yep. That when people get something in their head, and that's that's what 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 sin does. Yeah, we we reject the truth. So there are many many people, and apparently those people in hell had spent thousand years in hell. Somehow, with Jesus standing right in front of them, not one of them said, "Yeah." This isn't so bad after you go with we this. We like guy. the heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, it's, it's a dry heat. I'm gonna go with him. Carl, no. <laughs> so yeah, from both ends of the spectrum, yeah, it's it's it, it seems abundantly clear that you know, people who make that decision so basically you're in the first wave or 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 you never go. They do have cookies on the dark side. They do. But, 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 but you get fat too. That's the right side of the church. So, John has given the instruction write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place after. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. So, you see, early on, he's going to crack the code for us. Yay! <laughs> right? So, we have to remember what the code is and then just follow that through for the rest of the book. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right? So, and did we not talk about this last month? About angels and, uh, was that bit. this group or what group was it? A little bit. We touched on it. Yeah, there, there, there's, you know, just. It's one of the Christmas movie. Yeah, uh, that's right, yes. There's just so many angels. And they're designed for one purpose. And so we, you have individual angels. We have a, a, a guardian angel. Um, there are home angels. There are church angels. There are, I, I'm pretty sure, like a Bedford County angel, the state of Pennsylvania angel, United States of America angels, America. Um, uh, you know, so every country, every breakdown like that has an angel. So, but every, every church has an angel, and so the 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 imagery here is the seven lampstands are the seven churches, and the seven stars that Jesus holds in his hands, right, are the angels who watch over his churches. Now the fun begins. That's the intro. We start writing seven letters now. Next two chapters, we'll cover seven letters. Figure we could get through one tonight. So all the, you know, get used to it. Your next your next homework assignment is going to follow the exact same formula. There will be a question that says, "What is this church commended for, and what is this church criticized for?" Something to that effect, because every one of them has something like like that in you. So what is the church of Ephesus commended for? 
Hard work and perseverance. Hard work and perseverance. Endurance, can't tolerate wicked people, yeah. tested people who claim to be apostles, hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. All right, that's going to be a lot now. Let me see. Now, this is what I have against you. These are bad things. No, I'm sorry. This is what they're commended for. You say these are good things, but yeah. they're commended. Perfect. Okay, but but they're commended for you know, hard work, perseverance, not tolerating wickedness. They're 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 they're, they're testing, discerning, and during hardships, they're not growing weary. Count them up. There's six of them. Because they're one short. This is a good a, a good concept, a good grouping, but there's only six. They're one short. Yeah. Yep. This is an incredibly powerful letter. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. That's a pretty good church. I mean, that's, 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 that's an awesome church. I mean, you got a bunch of people who are persevering through persecution like this, not getting fed to lions, but getting set on fire, and your kids getting, getting fed to wild dogs and everything. If you can you know, get through that, this is a solid church. But Jesus has one thing and one thing only. What you say, Tony? Oh, first love. They have forgotten their first love. <clears throat> Who's got a Bible here handy? Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 37. I got a scroll. And scroll. Yes, would you read Matthew 22, 37 for us in a nice, clear voice? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. You've lost your first love. Jesus' definition. Love God, love your neighbor. So you're doing all kinds of good work. It's easily visible. You're doing good. But this church has forgotten why they're doing it. So, first love. I mean, that puppy love in high school, right? We just can't wait to be with this other person, and you just, you know, back in the day before cell phones, we had to stay at home and wait for the phone to ring, and, you know, and all of that. So, you get excited when you're in the presence of the person you, you say you love. They had lost that. So they're no longer excited about Jesus. They were doing good for Jesus, but they forgot why they were doing it. They lost that enthusiasm, that sense of excitement. Scripture actually says, whatever you do, do not lose your zeal for the things of God. So being a Christian is not a job. I've not seen a Christian time clock yet that you have to go go punch punch in. We should make 
It's been you just punch in once and then never punch out. <laughs> and no taking breaks. And, uh, right? So, what it's saying is the motivation, the attitude with which we are doing ministry is ultimately important. That we're not doing it just because we do it. We don't do it because our parents did it. We don't do it because I better do it or somebody will think less of me if I don't. We do it because we are just so crazy in love with Jesus. And crazy love like that will make you do some crazy things. I mean, remember when you were young and stupid and the crazy things? What was the famous movie where the guy's standing outside with the boom box? And, yeah. That's <laughs> far time. Yeah, let's be... Yeah. You, you know what it is. Everybody sees that. I can't remember the name of it. I can't, that's a, that's Everyone knows the same, but it's before it's our time. It's like, it's like, <laughs> and like parody there. I was born in '92. It's an '80s movie. I saw, saw a lot of movies where they made fun of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's that's why because it, you know he, he he lost her and showed to show his great love. He made an absolute fool of himself in public. Yeah, to to sing this song. So that's what love does. I hold this against you. You have forsaken. The love you had at first. The first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Now, he, in verse 5, gives a prescription of what they are supposed to do to correct the criticism. Right? You're doing six things really well. One thing is really bad. What are they told to do to fix the one, the one bad thing? Repent and do the things that you did at first. Yep. Turn back. Repent and make a circle. Come back around to where you began. Because in that first love stage, you're real excited. So in fact, this is saying, Jesus would rather have us excited about ministry than doing ministry well for the wrong reason. So it's not the end product as much as it is why we're doing what we're doing. So basically they got to focus on how to do it rather than why they yeah. Yep, the mechanics of it and, and just almost trying to outdo one another in, in trying to look good with their, their Christian peers, but instead it just, just get, get all kinds of crazy stupid for Jesus. You don't only have permission to do that, you have the encouragement to do it. Now, Repenting is a very common Christian concept. I ask the question, what, what does it mean to repent? Let, let, let me demonstrate to you what it, what it means to repent. Andy, you're, you're just sitting there available. Come over here with me, please. Please repent. Sucker. Sucker. Do you do realize that he's stuck in there? <laughs> <laughs> you should be happy okay. to get up. Hold on. You, <laughs> <laughs> he's the old one in the cell with all the Right there. Right there. I need you desperately, dear. Yes. I need you too. You're the newbie. If someone asked me to get up right now, and Jared's black, I'm like, that's the next story. That's the next story. Jared's black. He's the blackest. Oh. Okay. Man, look at Jared's shirt. That hair too, man. Come here, Jade. I told him his college, his college style. Okay. Here we go. Kyle, you're missing okay, Jerry's shirt. I'm worried. They're really like hitting on you right now. Jerry. <laughs> oh, good. Jerry is Jerry. Hi, Jerry. He is a Christian. <laughs> He's a Christian. He's a good boy. 
Andy. This is Jared. This is, type, this is typecasting. Jared. Andy is Satan. <laughs> He's got the little like. Yes, he's got goatee, black hair. I feel bad. You never guess who we have over here. An angel. This is Jesus. Progressive. This is progressive. Okay. She's got the white lace pure thing going on. This is progressive. Repenting means. Jared's a Christian. You only have two choices in which direction you will face. Good boy, Jerry. <laughs> Facing Jesus. Give Kyle a play-by-play. -play. He's in love with Jesus. Oh, I love you so much. Oh, I can hardly contain myself. Jared, it's our life health skit. <laughs> but somehow, so, something happened. You're welcome. He just thinks uh, and there came a day when Jerry said, Jesus, I'm just not too excited about being with you anymore. It's your life. Pay attention, Jerry. No. <laughs> Knowing that he can only face one of two ways. He can't face this way. He can only face toward Jesus or toward Mr. right? When he loses sight, when he loses that first love, instantly, this is what happens. You're now facing the evil one, Mr. 666 himself. Would 666 fit on the back of a jersey? That'd be pretty, pretty small. Yeah, it probably would. Okay? So, facing Satan, not good. Let's say something else happens. Another Christian comes into Jerry's life and says, Brother, you be sinning. You need to turn back around to Jesus. Now he's facing in the right direction. And there's your skit for the evening. So it was our Without it. Jared, you so didn't even have now. to do interpretive dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to repent means literally turning around. That's what the word means. Kyle, I'm sorry, you just missed that. You can't get it. <laughs> Alright? When you're facing when you're facing the wrong direction, you need to turn around. So what Jesus is saying is even though you're doing six things incredible, oh, you're an awesome church, anybody would be blessed to be part of you. But in fact, you're facing the wrong way. You must repent and return to the things you did at first. So, speaking to the Ephesians now, what, let's make a list. What, what are some things that we could be doing? This is a letter written to us as well. What would be a commendable activity whatever, that we could be doing that would demonstrate that we are still in love with Jesus. What would that look like on a 2015 Bedford, USA? <coughs> What's a specific thing we could do? Small groups, ministries. Uh-huh. Engage in small groups and, and just you know, help, help each other in the faith and, and you know, grow, grow in that faith. Never wear out. Okay. I just, feel like our culture is one that's just like... <laughs> This is too hard. I'd rather right. just yeah. get along with everyone. Don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. Just, you know, waves. <laughs> yeah. So. They just yeah, give so, up. So we have to take take responsibility. And so yeah, you know, but giving up is an attitude. You know, nobody makes you give up. Yeah. You choose to do that. So yeah. So there's got to be some some real perseverance involved in that. What else, what else can we do that that Jesus would would say is commendable? Is a first love type of thing? Just finding our joy in this, ah. in those tasks. Because just. 
I feel like so many times everything turns into work of some kind. It really can. And you know, churches are notorious for that, for burning people out. And uh, um, it, it, it gets to be a disaster. You know, if, and so yes, yeah, so that zeal, that joy, the enthusiasm, excitement, you know, whatever term you want to use there, when it, and we, we, what this is saying is we need to gauge that ourselves. I mean, it's not my job as pastor to come up to, come up to you and say, Hannah, you lost your joy there, sister. Um, I mean, you should have figured that out a long time ago. Because Paul says examine yourself, right? You shouldn't have others examining you. You are a priest. You go straight to God. And when you're going to God, you should realize I lost the joy. It's gone. The cool thing is with joy, with love, with all those things, you find yourself facing the wrong direction, you can choose to repent. I will turn around and face Jesus again and fall back in love. But we're responsible for that. So what else could we be doing that would be a commendable first love kind of act? Pray continuously. Do a lot of praying. That's relationship with Jesus, right? So it's kind of hard to fall fall in Satan's traps whenever you're praying constantly. Yeah, when you first like fall in love with somebody, you just want to like, talk to them. And exactly. Them all the time. Nine more. Jan, Jan and I, when we were young, young, young and in love, talked talk on the phone. still young. What are you doing? <laughs> we we talked on the phone one night so late we both we both fell asleep with the, with the with the phone up in our ear. And now you do that all the time, right? You're talking to each other. I bet that's your. Did you have it at breakfast the other morning? That was before cell phones, too. Yeah, right. Yeah, Which is really good. Did you sleep in I have a good story for illustration. Illustrate us. And I know you will remember this date. This is a date that will live in infamy. Had a bunch of churches together one time, and I had the privilege of sitting in the back of the meeting. And these churches were all asked, I believe, three questions. Three very specific questions on how they were growing the kingdom. One was, how many people in your church got saved this year? Um, I'm trying to remember the other two questions. They, they weren't very hard questions. Um, so baptism question. So how, how many baptisms and how many small groups do you have? I think, yeah, yeah, uh -huh, I think those uh -huh, were the three questions yeah. that they were asked, each church. So knowing these questions at least two weeks in advance, all these church representatives got together. And the person leading the meeting says, okay, Answer these three questions. Well, our church had 12 dinners, and we had three bazaars, and we raised some money for the poor. That wasn't any of the questions. Next. Well, our church, we had 12 spaghetti dinners, and we did a Christmas bazaar, and we did, and the guy leading the meeting cuts them off and goes, and, and literally half of the churches could not answer either of those three questions, but they did a bunch of stuff throughout the year. And that was after BOMC went first and answered the questions correctly. Yes, yes, that was, <laughs> we actually set the stage that, 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 so that, that others would... It was a very interesting meeting just, because <coughs> there were a bunch of churches who said, we're really busy, but we really didn't do anything. Right. Thank you. So that, yeah, that, very good. That, that does demonstrate the difference between the doing the good works without the first love. Yeah. So if you don't have any fruit from doing all of the stuff that you've been doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you really, it doesn't really matter all those good things that you did. All six of those things. When, when I go on occasion to do a, a, a consultation with another church for a weekend, you know, and I analyze them and analyze them and analyze them, and you know, it always comes down to, and this is one of the things I share with the leaders, you've lost your first love. 
know, you're, 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 everything is, is falling apart here because you've lost your first love. You've lost that, that zeal, that joy, that, 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 that excitement in relationship with Jesus. So we've got to get you back to that. And once you do that, everything comes back to where it needs to be. It's, it's really, really interesting, to say the least. So you've got to repent. If you don't repent, Jesus says, I will take away your lampstand. Your church will be gone. Pretty serious, right? Now this is this is Rambo Jesus double-edged sword time, right? I, 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 I'm to a point with you that I will take it away. Remember, I'm coming soon. It's going to happen. Now, verse six, it saying that the uh, hates the the practices of the Nicolaitans. Who are these crazy Nicolaitans? They weren't doing it right. They are not nice people. They are the destroyers of the people. That's what that term means. These don't sound like good good people, right? So it was the Nicolaitans was an evil heresy back in the day. The design of a heresy is to lead people astray. So you don't go in and say, there is no Jesus. You go in and just and change Jesus. A little aspect of the, of the faith, and then you're no longer, it's no longer the full truth. That's what a heresy is. So these Nicolaitans were expert at leading people away from the truth of Scripture. The Ephesians figured out who the Nicolaitans were and didn't listen to them. <clears throat> Bonus points. Awesome. But you still lost your first love. Now, this, this is so critical that Jesus says, unless you come back to your first love, you keep doing all the other six, I don't care. Those other six wonderful as they are, mean nothing without the first love. I will remove your lampstand. So we don't get to tell Jesus what we think is important and focus on that. Our job is to listen to what Jesus says to us and we say, that makes sense, I'm going to do that. I will submit to that. In verse 7, a promise is made to all who overcome. What, what are we supposed to overcome? Or conquer? Sins, Sin, evil. Yeah. Everything that's between you and God. What's that? Everything between you and God. Okay, so if there's something standing in the way, so in that, that image we had here, if something is, is blocking your vision of Jesus, you've got to get that, that, that out of there. What do we receive if we do conquer sin and evil? Outwailing and gnashing of teeth. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Shrimp. What? Bacon. Bacon. Bacon wrap shrimp. There you go. beans. Bacon wrap lima beans. What if lima beans taste like bacon in heaven? 
You can't be possible. Jesus would never, never, never ever do that to us. Cheesy. Cheesy bacon flavored lime beans. Yeah, right. Only lime bean tea. The devil would be bringing them in by the wheelbarrow. All right, so we have the right now to eat from the tree of life. Where else have you heard about the tree of life? It's back. I thought that was the right. tree of knowledge. It's been a long time. There's both. Well, the tree image. Knowledge, life, fancy. Pretty much. Right? So the tree is what got us into trouble to start with. But now if we do what we're told to do and regain our first love, we get the tree of eternity. This is a good deal. So that's the letter to the Ephesians. So I thought we could get that far today. Next time we'll probably get through at least three of the other churches. The same formula. It's the exact same thing seven times. Got this. You're doing good. This you're doing bad. This is what you need to do to correct it. So your your study sheet next time will follow that exact same formula the whole the, the whole way through. It'll be way fun. Oh. Tony has something really important to say. Um, I've gone to a couple different sermons to talk about this. My mom watches shows on TV like this. That, um, like you hear these preachers talk about the, the blood moons, whatever you want to call it. Yep. And they use that as kind of like a timeline or whatever. What's your opinion on that? No? Even though it says seven blood moons? Jesus says you will not figure this out. Jesus said, I don't even know when it is. So if Jesus can't figure he's, it out, he's going to get a phone call one day. Well, they, mean, they don't give an exact date like all these other guys were. They're just saying like a rough yeah, bad cave. All it's saying is it's yeah. it's closer. Soon means it's a little sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, it's, but like I say, you know, yeah, to start pinning it down, and if a day is like a thousand years to God, a thousand <laughs> years is like a day to God. Um, yeah. If there's a year in between those blood moons. What's a year to God? You know, 10,000 years? Or 10 minutes? Don't know. So again, that's why Jesus says, since you don't know when this is going to happen, it's going to happen in a blink of an eye. Be ready. Get yourself ready. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Get yourself ready. In other words, get right with Jesus now so that when it comes, then you'll, you'll be all set. Because you, you see, the, the the tragedy would be if Tony, you you were you you knew you had to become a Christian, you had to accept Jesus, and you thought tomorrow, tomorrow I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, let's say Saturday tomorrow I'm going to church and I'm gonna you know, accept Jesus tomorrow morning during during church and everything, but three o'clock Saturday night Jesus returns. It's not good enough. Now. Would Jesus say to you, well, you had a good intention. Now, remember double-edged sword? I mean, it's just... Double-edged sword, it, it cuts clean, right? So that's what, you know, all those apocalyptic parables that he tells about, that's what they're all about. It's, there's going to come a time when it's you've had chance after chance after chance after chance. The chances are done. So get ready now. That's the unprepared bride fates. Yeah. Mom and Dad can walk in the room any second. What am I, Matthew? Oh, that's why you do your homework. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> Never know when there's gonna be a pop quiz. <laughs> and all the Christian pop quizzes are pass fail. <laughs> the best kind. There's no nothing that connects what's going on on Earth with that timetable. I mean, because people will say, oh, you know, look at what's happening in the Middle East, right. look what's happening right. in Asia. So is that nothing? Is Je Jesus says you, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. You're going to hear about earthquakes. And he says they all mean nothing. They are not designed to be part of a, a chronological order. Yeah, clock that is ticking away and now you can start figuring so you, it out. If that the case, that would happen in the late 20s to mid 40s because right. all, you know, Jews being annihilated, World War, mm -hmm. Great Depression. So, right, yeah, all those, yeah, yeah, I'm a lot older than you guys and, you know, I mean, back, we've been killing you know, each other I'm, forever. Since yeah. the Crusades. I'm, I'm, really I'm the product, you, do you remember the term the Cold War mm -hmm. with, with Russia? I mean, we had enough nuclear weapons just between America and, and, and so, Russia. We could blow up the, the earth like 10 times. And then began to realize it's only going to take about three of those nuclear warheads strategically placed that will kick enough. You know, the mushroom cloud, do you know what the mushroom cloud is? They, they blow up, the, the device detonates above the earth. The concussion comes down like this in a sweeping motion. It is, you know, the nuclear reaction creates a vacuum, an incredible heat. So it burns everything, comes down like that. The vacuum, what does the vacuum do? Sucks it back up. That's what creates the mushroom cloud. If we had just three of those strategically placed in somewhat close proximity to each other, would pull up enough mass of the earth that would then envelop the entire earth and place us into a nuclear winter. The sun would not shine through and we'd, we'd all be dead in a couple weeks. That's I mean, but we had enough to literally blow up every square inch of the earth like ten times over. Um, but yeah, back then that's what everybody said. This is it. This is the end. This, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, they were saying that back in two thousand with Y two K. Remember that? Mm -hmm. it's like, yes. Stupidest thing I ever heard of in my life. What Just, about the rebuilding of the Temple Mount and stuff? Because that's but, in Revelation. Does, little, doesn't that have to take place before the end? There, there are clues and signs like that. It gives also the sense that you know, Jesus is not going to return until everyone on earth has had a chance to hear. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what the number is now, but the, uh, the last I heard, the uh, mission societies uh, were telling us there's still some 200 cultures around the world that have not been infiltrated with, with missionaries yet, that have just you know, so sequestered in the woods and mountains and whatever they are that you know, that no civilization has ever contacted them yet, you know. So yeah, something else. But yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, you know, give everybody a fair fair shake at this. And uh, but still, after the last one is finally contacted, is it going to be a day, a week, a month, a year, a hundred years, thousand years? You know, how long afterwards? Yeah. You know, so like I said, it just yeah, you, know, you drive yourself nuts with this stuff. So all all those what ifs are simply incorporated into. The biblical term faith. So basically, what what we're saying is, I don't need to know the answer to those for my salvation, because I know who holds my salvation, and that's the one I have faith in. So I don't have to figure all this out myself. So you literally will drive yourself nuts doing it. 
Some great minds have spent their their lifetime trying to figure this out, write books, and you know, Harold Camping and the whole nine yards, and it's just it's insane. And everyone has always been wrong. Back in the early church, back in Nero's day, they're figuring it out. It made perfect sense. The sign of the beast, the mark of the beast, is six six six. Nero's actual name was Nero. There's some other Latin-y word next to it. I can't remember what it was now. But remember I told you, all Greek and Hebrew letters have numbers attached to them. A is 1, B is 2, 3, and then you go into divisions of 5, 10s, and 15s. And yeah, There was no number higher than 10,000 back in biblical times. Why would you need anything bigger than 10,000? Right? I mean, we got millions and billions of trillions down, but back then 10,000 was, was infinite. So all those letters had, had numbers attached to it. Whatever name, Nero, whatever that second name is, you attach the Greek and Hebrew number next to each of those letters. Both Greek and Hebrew equals 666. <laughs> More modern, Stalin. Do the numbering system, equals 666. Stalin was is the is the biggest mass murderer in history. Yeah. Right, Hitler. Six six six. Yep. Um. Who else? Uh, whole bunch of really bad people throughout history. Um, what about Obama? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking. Say how people are thinking that. Today, sweetie, let's not even go there. I just want to Interesting theory. Check that out. One off. Six, six, seven. All right, we're good. Just one off. You see what I'm saying? I mean, every generation since this was written has said this is the end because of these signs. These signs happen all the time. Every generation. Because we think that we're so much smarter than the previous generation, that our time is so much worse than the other generation. Yeah, I mean, we have, we're the first generation to have 24-7 news. When I was a kid, you got 30 minutes of news with commercials at 6.30 at night and shut up and that's all you're getting. And if the president was on, he would go all three channels. That's right. That's what my dad always said. Seriously. I mean, we got very little news. So, I mean, we didn't hear about earthquakes. We didn't hear about, you know, natural disasters across the world. You you just didn't hear those things. So it sounds like today we have a lot more of them, only because you hear about them a lot more. We have access to that information a lot more. So it sounds like things are a lot worse. When, in fact, it's... Pretty much the same. Ignorance was bliss. Yeah. I mean, tyrants rise and tyrants fall, and, you know. I think my parents need to hear this. Our <laughs> <generation>. <laughs> my generation is the we'll most stressed out some, and anxiety ridden generation yeah. to exist. Yeah. Because yeah. everything's just because tossed at us. Need to but, you know, it's, it's a real weapon of Satan yeah. is, to, is to make us so anxious and, and, and distraught and just, I gotta figure this out, I gotta figure it out. No. I mean, what do you think the, the, the Christian concept of peace means? Yeah. Peace does not mean you're fretting about things and worried and anxious and all that because Jesus says, don't worry. That's why. I got this. You don't have to do it. Right? Just believe it. That's our, that's our end of it. It's just that simple. 
So relax and enjoy the ride. Get ready for the for the buffet. <laughs> Shrimp. <laughs> it's gonna be great to eat whatever you want. Not not have to worry about gaining weight or your cholesterol to go up. Or, I plan on getting up. Yeah. <laughs> For at least oh, 10,000 years. Yeah, sleep, sleep for a thousand years. Get, get up, play a thousand years of video games. Yeah. You can sleep in a bowl of gravy somewhere. The golf can't be in heaven. It frustrates me too much. Holes in one all the time. Well, there, 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 there is no, no night. You know, no sun, no moon. There's no pinpoint of light. So there's always perfect, pure light. So you can play golf just constantly. It'll have what you want in it, what you love in it, so maybe it'll have a big like fluffy bed. What about cats? Cats are guardians of the underworld. That's a good one. Sassy loved you though, Corey. So with what we've done so far, we're just kind of getting started here, but you got any other questions, any other thoughts? But yeah, those are all really good questions. But um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had to put a lot of thought into this and I've lived a lot, lot of life and you know, can start, start to piece this together. So um, you know, between us, we had to be able to figure this out pretty good. Good, Liz. Is the rapture the same as Revelation or is it a part of Revelation? Part of. Like the Jesus, Jesus comes back, and as he does so, he hits a switch on a, on a big Hoover vacuum cleaner that, that sucks all the, all, the, all the Christians up. And yeah, it's gonna be pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Now, did it? Christian denominations not believe in that? The rapture? I think it's pretty universal. I think it's even Jehovah's Witnesses maybe do. They obviously believe one hundred forty-four thousand is a literal number, which is. Yeah, but don't, don't they also believe that God's going to rebuild his kingdom here on that's earth, so not there, it's going to give him fire and water and all that stuff? Yeah, and that's, that, that's why Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are, are cults, yeah. because yeah. They're, they're not true Christian churches, yeah. because they, they, they take the essence of the truth and twist it to their own means and kind of screw things up. So yeah, so there's a, a, a purity in this. So one, one of the, along those lines, the last statement made, chapter 22, end, 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 is... Anybody who adds to this, Jesus says, I will add to you the curses in this book. <laughs> yeah. How can it get worse than that? Well, apparently Jesus has a way. And he says, anybody who takes away from it, right, who subtracts words from this, I will take away from that person, from their inheritance, the, 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 the tree of life, their salvation. So yeah, so we can't, can't tamper with this. I mean, it's, it is what it is. So we have to make sure that we, we, we honor and respect the, the total truth. Don't add, subtract, multiply, or divide. And just live live that way. You keep talking about the one swoop. That he's going to take all the Christians. Uh, is there anything to say that that's going to be a, a peaceful way out? I mean, obviously you're going to heaven. But... It, I, 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 I would think so. It, it, it gives, gives an indication things on earth progressively get worse. Which... I mean, it kind of is. But then there will come that critical point before all the really bad stuff happens. That's where Jesus, white horse, whole nine yards, boom, done, Hoover, buffet. I've heard arguments over that kind of Well, and we'll get into that too because in there's, you could, and again, we don't have to figure it out because yeah, the Bible seems to 
say two different things. There's the, you know, the, the, the pre-tribulation and the post-tribulation. And you know, in one sense, you know, in uh, Timothy, you know, it appears to be one way. Here in Revelation, it seems to be another way. So yeah, we'll, we'll take a look at that when we get there. And it is what it is. You know, it's, so even that timeline is not dependent on our salvation. Well, I believe it's, it's before this happens or after that happens. You know, doesn't matter. Just get ready. And when it happens, it happens, and Jesus might fool all of us and come some other time. So <laughs> he could do that, you know. No, when he comes back, will he take like all of the alive Christians first, and like all the dead in crowd Christians first, or he just take everybody at once? Well, excellent question. The no one is in the ground. I mean, like the people like died, but like they died no. as Christians. Right, doesn't matter. Whether you, whether you died Christian or died non-Christian, you go to where you go forever at the moment of death. So I, I think you know, the most biblical image I've seen of that is in the movie Ghosts. Remember at the, at the end, bad guy dies, and the the, 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 the demons come crawling out, grab hold of him, and, and yeah. You know. Yeah, it's a rough scene. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I mean, according to what I read, I mean that that seems to me a fairly biblical concept. Um, but the, the the converse is true as well. For the faithful, when you die before the second coming, you just you go up. Um, so we're going to get into that in uh, chapter four because it, it it talks about you know, those who have already died. The martyrs are already in heaven. And they're, 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 they're talking to Jesus. John's sitting there listening to him and says, and because they're, they're saying, we're ready. You know, I mean, the, the party's right over the week. We've got to get over to the buffet line. We want to go now. And he's just chill. It's coming. It's coming soon. He, so he calms them down and everything. But they get a little anxious. They, we want this. It's so good up here. We want all everybody else to come join us. So you go where you go at the moment of death. So you're already there. So final judgment then is, well, for the Christians, final judgment is not an issue. We're already there. For those who aren't in heaven, they are brought before the throne from hell, lined up. And it's not a courtroom scene. It's not a, a thing that, you know, we're going to, Jesus is going to list their crimes and did this, this sin and all that type of thing. It's just going to be a confirmation of saying, you chose to live this way on earth. You rejected me. The unforgivable sin is denying the Holy Spirit. I have been in you your entire life, and you have chosen willfully to reject me your entire life. I simply confirm your decision that you want no part of me. While on earth, and I already told you, if you don't want me here on earth, you can't have me in heaven. Bye-bye. So, but at that last second, they can't be like, well, no. I changed my mind. No. Oh, okay. As I figured. As <laughs> I figured. Double edged sword already down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Business yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Does he wear a suit when doing that? Yes, it's just a real. Yeah. real. Yeah. I've seen a t shirt. <laughs> And that goes along with who denies me before men, and you'll be denied before my father. Right. Yeah. See, that's, that's one, one of the great qualifiers. So, yeah, you know, that's what I was talking about earlier, and probably should have mentioned that. But, you know, that, you know this is our job now. Our first love is to, to share. So it's not, it's not to make converts. We're not the ones who, who, who make the, the, the conversion in the lives of others. The Spirit does that. 
our job, our, our faithfulness is simply to share the good news, to not deny Jesus, so that everyone knows we're Christian. They don't have to beat people over the head with it, but there should be no question as to our identity. We're not to blend in with the culture. We understand. Yep. To be to, to uh, be, being a saint means literally in the original language means distinguishable. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean holy. It means distinguishable. It doesn't necessarily mean better <laughs> than the culture, although it kind of does. But what it means is people can tell who you are. That's a saint. And that's why Paul writes to the saints. He's not writing to dead people. He's writing to alive people. With encouragement, then, of how to continue living the way they're supposed to live. What an awesome conversation we're having. Just think, we're only in chapter one. <laughs> yeah, it's strap yourselves in because it's there's about ten ten chapters in there where it, it gets it blood and gore and it gets so bad. And just to show the sense of humor Jesus has, it gets so bad that people try to die. They're jumping off of cliffs. They're standing out in front of front of tractor trailers out out, out on a turnpike, and they're tr- exactly they're they're trying to die. And Jesus won't let him die. <laughs> no, this is what you wanted. Let's 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 have some fun with you. <laughs> so people like they're almost immortal per se. Yeah, yeah, kind of. So like they could literally go run over, get up, and then just walk away. Yeah, oh, yeah. That for a short time. Kind of funny to see. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said we're going to be in heaven watching this. This is going to be a pretty yeah. funny show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's like yeah. theater seating and everything. He's not playing around. <laughs> it's got business in the front, party in the back. The wallet. Alrighty. Our business of the night. March date. Next meeting. Yeah, Kyle, did you get that, buddy? It can't. Um, it's gonna. The only date we have is March thirteenth. Oh. Wait, that's Friday the thirteenth. We can't do that. We can't do it. All the more reason to do it. Exactly. Meister. Can't do that night. What's this with you? Everyone's only giving us one date. To yeah, really. <laughs> well, if somebody, else, if somebody else wants to have it at their house, then you can do it. Life has gotten a little crazy in the Welsh household lately. <laughs> We're booked the twentieth, and then there's that the twenty seventh. Sex retreat. Again, is the sex retreat. Let's do that. Sex retreat. Sex retreat. That sounds like fun. <laughs> we call it the sex retreat. Teach them abstinence, but we call it the sex retreat. Chris, she got his Sixth or thirteenth? I think the sixth. 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 Is March sixth good with people? It's pretty quick. I'll make it. We only have twenty-eight days, Mark. Kyle, the sixth good for you? We don't care. Kyle, here. 
Yes. I was, oh, Root, Cal, answer me. I was stuck with that wrath once. <laughs> Not getting to vote because you weren't here. No, no, no. Three no. Okay, March 6th, going once, going twice. So, sixth. What? March 6th. We'll be here, but we'll be late. Be I'll be late every Friday. So then, we'll talk about you. When we're done, <laughs> after, after after when we're done with prayer, I need about two minutes with every young adult who has gone to the sex retreat, abstinence retreat before. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Well, yeah, you're awesome. <laughs> Sex retreat. See, Andrew, you blew it. <laughs> so if you can just stay downstairs for a couple of seconds, I'm not going to need all of you, but we're going to need. Okay. Speaking speaking of love and sex, um, we 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 could send electronically to you, but I do have the. We were going to take take our. Our love, love language? No, this is love language. The one I you love, got was spiritual. Like yeah, spiritual gifts. So, yeah, I sent you all kinds of stuff. So, here is the. This will only take a matter of seconds. There's only 30 questions, two choices, and you're just picking which one you have a preference for. This is, this is for single people. Oh. Oh. Make sure you put your name on it. Don't, don't do it now. Because he was the first one to these? <laughs> yes, I do. As long as your name's on it. It is. I'm single. Dun, dun, dun. Not married. Okay. Is anyone single? Not that you know. You better not be married. Yeah. That, that one I think I can do electronically, but I'll, I'll, I'll get that one to you. So, take... All the single people? You guys got to run? Yeah. Plus, who's doing it? Thanks for being here, guys. See you. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.